Well, good evening. You guys excited? Y'all having a good weekend? At least that section's having a good weekend. I said, are you guys having a good weekend? Amen. I hope that you are. What I want you to do before we get anything started is hold this up in the air. It's your notebook or your piece of paper. Maybe you don't have a notebook. You got something to write on. If you don't have something to write on, hold up your hand and start writing on that, okay? So what I want you to do is open up to a fresh sheet of paper right now, and at the top, I want you to write down the title of tonight's lesson, which is Healthy Ministry Culture. Healthy Ministry Culture. Now, the video that we watched just a little bit ago talked about the healthy church culture, but what we're going to do tonight is more specific. We want to zero down and really think about our ministries, and there are a lot of ministries represented here, whether it's a junior high ministry, the senior high ministry, or uh, campus ministry, or maybe there's some adult ministries even represented here, some of our wounded heart stuff and our um, healing as a choice. There's all kinds of ministries in the church that maybe you are a part of. And I want you to really think in the context of those ministries and whether or not the culture in them is healthy and what role you play and helping them to be that way. The second thing I want you to do, after you write that title at the top of your paper, I want, to, I want you to write down these uh, questions. The first question is, do I contribute to the health of my ministry's culture? Write it down. Do I contribute to the health of my ministry's culture? Number two, do I bring disease to the health of my ministry's culture. Write both of them down. And then I want you to write down number three. Number three, and write this down, there is no number three. Now you laugh now. But what does that imply? That you're in one of two camps. And that what we're about to talk about is so serious. When you sing about the Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slain, to, un to understand that He desires His ministries, His churches, they're His, they're not ours, they're His. He desires them to be healthy. And to understand this fact that you could either be bringing disease into His ministry, or you could be contributing to the health do you understand that you are tampering with or contributing to the lamb that was slain, the lion of Judah, and everything that he has tried to establish and the things that he wants to do in this world, that you could either be for him or you could be against him. In fact, I'm not making this up, guys. Jesus says there's really no number three. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, look at what it says. If you're not with me, this is Jesus. He says, if you're not with me, you're against me. Unless you're gathering the flock with me, you're scattering it. Now, before we go to the next passage, I want to talk about this for a second. What does he mean, gathering and scattering? Gathering and scattering what? Well, I think in this context, he's making a reference to the church as this flock of little sheep. And so he's, ref he's referencing the scattering of people or the gathering of people. So I want you to think just for a second. Am I contributing to the health of my ministry's culture or am I bringing disease to it? Am I gathering people or am I scattering them? Am I causing people to be drawn closer to God or am I 
causing a divide and pushing them further away from God. Because you can do that. If you're a part of a ministry, you're in one of these two categories. Jesus also says here, and I love the message paraphrase in Luke chapter 11, verse 23, he says, This is war. This is no laughing matter. This is war. And there is no neutral ground. If you're not on my side, you're the enemy. If you're not helping, you're making things worse. I see a lot of you shaking your head. What I really want you to do tonight is I want you to take personal inventory. I know we're talking about how to have a healthy ministry culture. And that's talking about the larger group. I know Robert has already talked about a healthy personal culture. But I'm going to tell you that, that this is the way it works. Your ministry culture is the sum total of who you are and who comes and, and participates in that ministry. You cannot have a healthy ministry culture without healthy personal cultures that come and participate in that ministry. You want a healthy ministry culture? You've got to make sure you check yourself at the door. What are you bringing to the table? Which category are you in? Are you a part of the problem or are you part of the solution? So as we look at um, these six things that Corey brings up, as we look at the six things that Corey brings up, that our ministries must be in order to have a healthy ministry culture, you have to look at yourself. Look at what Paul says to the Ephesian church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and what? Growing. What else? Say it. Full of love. Do you want your ministries... To be healthy, growing, and full of love. If you do, raise your hand. Now, what does Paul say is the key? He gives you the recipe. He says, here it is. Each part must do its own special work. If you wrote this passage down, I want you to circle that. Because this is where you come into the picture. We're not going to get together tonight and talk about all these group things that we can do. We're going to talk about us and what we bring whether we contribute or whether we bring disease. And see, I want you to understand something. I loved T.C. and Maria's lesson earlier when they talked about this idea, but I love how the New Living Translation puts this here in Ephesians 4. He says, each part has to do its own what? Special work. Now, some of y'all have been called special, and that wasn't a compliment, right? But that's not at all what Paul's talking about. Paul is saying you're special in the sense of what of what T.C. and Maria were talking about earlier when he said there is only one you. There's only ever been one you. There will only ever be one you. And so you're special. And before the foundations of the earth, before you were even in your mother's womb, God had plans for you and intentions for you, and he had a specific, special work that he wanted to do through no one else but you. And that you would bring something so cool and unique to the table and that he would operate through you. And some of you haven't believed that yet. Some of you are stuck. And you don't think that you have anything to offer. And can I just tell you, if you don't believe you have anything to offer, then you're telling God he's wrong. 
Because he says you have something very special to offer. I want you guys to ask yourself tonight six things. He had those outlined on the video, and here they are. He says your church or your ministry has to be authentic. It has to be gracious. It has to be community-minded. It has to be Bible-centered. It has to be clear, and it has to be excellent. What I want you to do, though, is don't think about everybody else. I want you to think about you and ask yourself, am I authentic? Write it down. Am I authentic? And I want to give you guys four Um, Well, before we do that, I can't believe uh, these guys did this for me. But this is the opposite of authentic, okay? Can y'all see this? Is there any way to make this darker so we can actually see this for a second? I don't mind being in the dark for a second. Can someone do that? Yeah, okay, there we go. (laughs) These are your campus ministers on full display. So, uh, Brett Mason, and he's got this filter, right? That's this thing that we do. And I know some others have talked about this idea, but I want you to see just how ridiculous these guys look, okay? When you are not the genuine, authentic, real McCoy you, and you try to dress yourself up or pretty yourself up with some fake filter, you know, we do this on our phones, but guys, we do it in real life, putting on our duck faces, I I don't even know what to say about that. I don't know. I feel some kind of way about that, Jake. But (laughs) it's very pretty, Carrie. Looking good, brother. Oh, how'd this end up in there? This is one of my favorites. I don't know why y'all want to look like a cat, but uh, you know. Y'all all doing this? I, I, I should have stuck my tongue out because that's another popular one, right? Everybody wants to see your tongue and what you've been eating that day, I guess. I don't know. But here, this one, I'm sorry. I'm, I apologize ahead of time. TC is the only one left. There we go. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> TC doesn't often take off his shirt, but he was willing to do it for the sake of this lesson and for the sake of the gospel. So thank you, TC. Let's get the lights back on. Let's get the lights back on so I can see. All right, let's get this off the screen quickly. All right, that is not authenticity. That is the opposite of authentic uh, TC over there. Okay, so we should have had a, like a real picture after that or something. Anyway, it's, it's too late now. <clears throat> but I want to give you four marks of what authenticity really means. That's not it, okay? This is what authenticity means. It means that we're transparent. It means that we're vulnerable. It means that we confess, and it, remain, and it means that we're accountable. Now, there is some overlap in these concepts, but think about this. Transparency. What does Jesus say? He says that anyone who's going to be his follower is what we call a child of light. Not a child of darkness. Not someone who hides, but someone who brings and exposes their deeds in the light so that everyone can see clearly that what's being done in their life is being done by God. Now, the children of darkness do the opposite. They're not transparent. The children of darkness are children of secrecy and children of hiding, and they don't want anyone to know. So we want to be transparent children of light. The second one here, vulnerability. What does that mean? Well, that means that I'm willing to let you in on my weaknesses and my hurts. 
Let you know when I'm worried. Let you know when I'm going through something that's difficult. I don't have to appear strong to everyone and put on a fake face and let you know things aren't okay all the time. The next one is confession. This is when we get involved in sin. And can I just tell you, man, that there's not a single person. I would be amazed if someone could raise their hand tonight and say, you haven't sinned all day long. Can anybody do that? I'd be really super impressed. I've tried really hard today, and I still have failed. Confession is admitting it out loud to someone. You say, well, what's the difference between that and accountability? Aren't they the same thing? No, it's not. See, I can say it out loud. I've got this, this group, and we just get together, and we just blurt out all of our sins together, and then we just call it a day, and we go home. Accountability is someone stepping in based on that confession and going, hey, can I call you about it this week? Hey, can I say something to you later? Hey, let me hold you accountable and make sure we get through this together so that you don't do it again. That's accountability. And all of these things contribute to authenticity. So I want to ask you, are you authentic? Do you bring health or disease to your ministry's culture? One way you bring health is by being these things, by being authentic. Now, let me be a prophet for a second. You say, oh, what do you mean? (laughs) I don't mean I'm going to tell the future or have some special knowledge from God, but what what I believe that A prophetic message really is, especially today, is when someone can speak directly to someone's heart in a piercing and penetrating way. And that's my goal in this moment, okay? I want to talk to the leaders. If you're a leader of a ministry, I want you to write this down. I cannot lead where I do not go. Write it down. I cannot lead where I don't go. What I mean by that, guys, is it has to start with us. Corey said it in the video. He says it in his book. I agree with him 100%. It has to start with those of us who are in leadership positions. If we do not model this transparency, this vulnerability, this confession, this accountability, if we don't model it, how do we expect people to follow us if we're not willing to go there? And there are all kinds of things that probably go in your mind. Well, wait, wait, wait. I've got to preserve my respect. I've got to preserve my reputation. I've got to make sure that people don't look down on me because I've got to lead them. And let me just tell you, it's backwards thinking. All you will teach them is how to fake it. Unless you're demonstrating this in front of them. If you're a leader, put that to prayer this evening. When you get in your groups, leaders, you have an opportunity to start right off the top and say, let me model this before I even ask you guys anything. Second prophetic message I want to kind of aim at your hearts with is some of you guys have been sharing the same story. I was thinking about this. I was like, how do you talk to a group that I admire so much? I moved all the way from Alabama to come here and plant a church in Columbia, Missouri, because I love this church, and I love its vision, and I love its leadership, and I love you guys and the passion that you have, and how you demonstrate authenticity very well. So when I'm asked to talk to this group, do I just want to preach to the choir? No, I wanted to find something. What do I say to a group that excels in these things for the most part? What do I say? 
Here's my message to you. Some of you have been sharing the same story over and over and over again in every context you come to. And there's nothing wrong with repeating and sharing the same story for the benefit of others that haven't heard it. But can I just tell you something here? It can become as though it's rehearsed. And people will see it as disingenuous at some point. And here's the good news. You don't have to have one story. We all admitted. No one raised their hand when, they said, when I said, who hasn't sinned all day long? No one raised your hand. So guess what? You have something to talk about today that is new as of today. You have this ongoing you, you have been rescued by Jesus, and you have that story of how you, he picked you up out of the mire and out of the mud, but you have an ongoing rescuing that Jesus is doing on the daily basis. And I want to encourage you guys, stop falling back on that one story that everyone has heard and that everyone acknowledges and knows about you, and let them in on your daily struggle with the devil. Amen? Some of you have never ever allowed those secrets to come to the surface. And can I just tell you, by not bringing them to the surface and doing these things in your ministry, you are in the category of bringing disease, not health. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. He says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I want you to underline or, or see this up here on the screen where he says, so now. He says, so now I boast. That implies that he hasn't always and I know Paul, as a Pharisee, would have struggled with this mightily because they were all about putting on these airs. You know, they would wear the long flowing robes and have the phylacteries on their head. And I know it's a weird word. Phylactery was like a little box. They put scripture in. They put it on their head just to let everyone else know that they had scripture on their mind. These guys were all about appearance and all about saving face. And Paul goes, yeah, but now, nah. All my weaknesses, I brag about them. Why? Not because I just want to drudge it up and just talk about how you know, raunchy I used to live or whatever. But he says, no, because it's in that weakness that then I can show how God has been powerful and he's delivered me. I brag about my weaknesses. Some of you guys run away from your weaknesses. Some of you guys refuse to talk about your weaknesses. And I'm telling you, you're cheating your ministry. You're cheating the kingdom of God. You're cheating those that don't know Christ, that have some of the same struggles that you have. You've got to boast in your weaknesses and be authentic. Number two, I've got to be gracious. And this is where um, RJ and Ashley get nervous because this is their topic or at least part of it. So I'm going to sit here for a while and watch them squirm. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, Jesus tells a parable. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant. You guys are familiar with it, I hope. At least some of you are. But if you're not, let me tell you the story just briefly. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Just give you the gist of it. There's a king who has this servant 
who owes him, I'm talking about, and well, let me just pull it up. Let me show you what he owed him. He owed him 10,000 talents. Let me break this down for you. The guy owed him 10,000 talents. One denarii was a daily wage. And if we assume that that means like the common guy, that's like a low-paying wage, it's the, every, you know, the average Joe salary for one day, that's the denarii. If we assume that's like our you know, minimum wage of $10, we're just going to go with $10 because the math was easy for me, okay? You realize 6,000 denarii equals one talent. So 6,000 days worth of work would be one talent. And this man owed the king 10,000 talents. Okay? If you do the math, I fast forward down to the bottom, 10,000 talents today at $10, minimum wage, okay? 80 bucks a day working eight hours, comes out to $4,992,000,000. Almost $5 billion was the debt that was owed. And if you take into account how the system would have worked with interest, it would have been next to impossible, if not entirely impossible, for him to ever pay this king back. And so he goes to the king and he begs. He's like, I can never do this. I can't do it. And the king has mercy on him. He shows him grace. And he cancels the entire debt. What a cool story. Can I tell you, that's all of our stories that have become Christians. God canceled your $5 billion debt that you could never pay. He canceled it. The story doesn't end there. The parable goes on. And and it says that that servant that had his debt canceled, he goes out and finds one of his fellow servants that owes him 100 denarii, which equals about $8,000 if you use the same system, the same math. And it says he was relentless with this other servant. He insisted that he pay him back. And if he didn't, he had him thrown into jail. Well, now the king hears about this. And he goes, oh, no, you didn't. (laughs) I canceled all that debt for you. And you can't cancel that little $8,000. We're talking $5 billion. You can't cancel $8,000 for someone else? He said, no, it's not going to end that way. And the end of the story is this. Jesus says, If that's how you treat people, if you can't forgive and extend grace to others, he says, that's how your heavenly father will treat you. Jesus says it in another place. If you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. Those are not my words. Those are Jesus' words. And they're not to be played with. Some of you have grudges. Some of you hold grudges deep in your heart against people. And you won't let it go. Can I just tell you, that's not grace. It's not what was extended to you. And it brings disease to your ministry's culture. We've got to have a ministry that embraces grace. We have to have individuals that embrace grace. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, Tolerate the weakness. I love that. You know, I usually hate the word tolerate, but in this context, I think it's appropriate. It says tolerate, not sin, okay? But he says tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith. Forgiving one another in the same way you've been graciously forgiven by Jesus. If you find fault with someone, release the same gift of forgiveness to them. The same gift that was given to you, he says, release it to others. Do you want a healthy ministry culture? This is what you've got to practice. It's got to be a culture of grace. A culture of overlooking people's faults. And also just acknowledging that you have them too. 
Jesus says in another place, we don't have it on the screen, but he said in another place, some of you guys are trying to take the little speck out of somebody's eye when you got a big old board sticking out of yours. It's not that he doesn't want you to help and remove that speck. It's that he wants you to first acknowledge you've got a problem too and address that. Then you can see clearly how to help your brother. But there's this idea, man, that we have it all together and so we can't extend this grace. I wonder, guys, if our problem is that we think everybody else's sin is more severe than our own. Or I wonder this too. If we're not being gracious and we don't have this environment of grace that people feel very comfortable sharing because they know it's going to be met with grace. If we don't have that, I wonder. I wonder if it's not just our own heart problem. Did we lose the signal? Oh, here we go. Let's move on to number three. I want you to ask yourself, am I community-minded? Am I community-minded? What are some of the communities that you're a part of? Middle schools, high schools, colleges, universities, workplaces, sports teams, clubs and organizations, cities, towns that you live in, your neighborhoods. These are all different communities. And I want you to ask yourself, how often do you and your ministry think about the community that you find yourselves in? And I loved Robert's lesson. It really, uh, you know, actually brought me to tears um, as he was talking about this idea that has been near and dear to my heart for some time, where Jesus cries over the city. And here's the question that Robert asked, and I'll repeat it here. Are you crying over your communities? Are you crying over the people, your fellow co-workers? Are you crying over your fellow college students? Are you crying over your teammates? Are you crying over the people that you're around on a daily? Are you crying over them because they don't know God the way that you do? That's what it means to be community-minded. It means that we genuinely love the people in our community. Look at Jesus' example in Matthew chapter 9. Verses 35 through 38, it says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues. Here's the community-mindedness, right? He goes to their synagogues. He proclaims the good news of the kingdom, and he heals every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples... The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What a sad state of affairs. You got all this harvest. So many people that, that are ready, and they're, they're primed, and they're ready to receive God. But there's just not anybody to go out and harvest. There's just not enough workers. Why is that? And so Jesus says, pray about it. And I love, actually, the King James. I don't often like it, but in this case, I really do. It uses this word. I'm going to teach it to you. He says, beseech the Lord of the harvest. And beseech is more than just pray. Beseech carries with it, not that I'm just standing up here and reciting a prayer like I would be sitting down at a meal and recite a prayer, but man, it's on your knees. It's begging. It's pleading that God would send workers. And I would ask you that if you would pray that prayer, would you accept the answer that maybe God gives that He says, I'll send more workers. Because I'm sending you. 
Can you accept the call to go into his harvest field? To mimic what Jesus did. To care about the community. To go into the uncomfortable places. To preach on their turf. To talk to them on their turf. That's what Jesus did. Do you have compassion? Compassion is different than pity. Pity, I can do at a distance. Compassion drives me closer and gets involved, gets its hands dirty. Takes the extra time, the energy, the headaches, and the grief that it's going to cause. Man, you see people that got these jacked up lives, and you see them at school, and they're nothing like you. And so I, I think it was somebody, maybe it was TC and Maria, maybe it was Carrie and Hannah, I'm not sure. I think it was Carrie and Hannah, when they talk about... Just building relationships with the people that you're like. Because it's easy. It's natural. No big deal. But what about the people you have nothing in common with? Are you willing to put in that work? Are you willing to see them as harassed and helpless sheep without a shepherd and step up to the plate and do something about it? Are you community-minded? Next, are you Bible-centered? How is your ministry culture supposed to be Bible-centered if you are not? And I'm talking a lot to the leaders here. But really, it's to everybody. But man, how much time before the event are you spending in the Word of God leading up to that event as a leader? How much time are you spending with God to let Him mold and shape you and give you conviction so that you can then spill it out and share it with the people that you lead? How much time are you spending developing your own spirit and allowing God to shape you? And then for everyone in the room, would you say that people would come to your ministry gatherings, whatever they are, whether it be a cross chat or a hangout or whatever it is, would you say that when they get there, they would de definitely declare with authority, it is Bible-centered? Or is the Bible just sort of an afterthought? It's kind of there, but it's just an afterthought. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, this is a popular one. You've heard it before in all likelihood, okay? But it says, all Scripture is God-breathed. And I want you to underline the word useful. It's useful for teaching. For a lot of things, okay? But it's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking. It's useful for correcting. It's useful for training. And it says, so that the servant of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All those special works that God has in mind for you to do, he doesn't just say, good luck with that. He says, here's the ultimate tool that will help you accomplish it. And we just kind of sit it in the background. The word of God has to be center. You ever try to rebuke a brother or sister? It's just you and them, and you just tell them what they should already know. But your Bible isn't open. You're not reading with them through the Scripture. You're not praying through the Scripture. You're not letting God really talk to their heart. You're just kind of doing it on your own. Can I tell you that that's, that's like saying, yeah, it's useful, but I'm not going to use it. What, what, what do you mean you're not going to use it? That's what it's for. It's used for correcting. It's used for training. It's used for all these things, man. God gives you this living and active Word of God that's a sword. It's able to divide soul and spirit, bones and marrow. And we just don't 
Use it, even though it's ultimately useful. Are you Bible-centered? Or do you need to recommit to that and decide that you're going to be? Number five. Is your ministry culture clear? Well, again, it's not going to be unless you are. And listen, a lot of this starts, again, with the leadership. What are you portraying? How are you leading? Is it clear what your ministry is about? Is it clear to everyone that's involved that this is our priority? This is our goal? Are we clear? Can I tell you, Jesus was clear. In his book, Corey Trimble says, the culture of the church will be determined by what it values. The culture of the church will be determined by what it values. So my question to you is, what do you value? What is most important to you? Because that's going to bear itself out in your ministry. What is most important to you? What is the highest priority? You know, I thought about this. If you were to take a snapshot, of any, just, just thumb through the New Testament to some red letters, and you know Jesus is involved because this is the red letter section. All right, just thumb to any, any section where Jesus is doing something and just take a snapshot. It doesn't matter what he's doing. Can I tell you, I don't think you would ever be able to find a moment, not a moment in his life, where he was not clear and involved in something that was accomplishing his ultimate purpose. Not a moment. You could always look at Jesus and instantly know what he was about and what was important to him. What about you? Is it clear in your life and in the life of your ministry that seeking and saving the lost is your number one priority? Because that was Jesus' number one priority. That's what he was here for. Everything he did contributed to that end goal. What about you? Or would people who know you very well say that your priorities are more centered on yourself? If our ministry culture is going to be clear, we've got to be clear about what is most important to us. And here's the message. Here's the message that we, that's simple, it's clear, it's from the first sermon that's ever recorded after the resurrection of Jesus, and it should be our same message that we're driving people toward. And it should be clear that this is what all of our ministries lead to. This conversation. And it's this. In Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 39. Peter stands up to the crowd and he says, God has made this Jesus both Lord and anointed King. The same Jesus you crucified. There's the first part of the clear, crystal clear message that, that we're all supposed to be about. You tell people that Jesus was killed and you, your sin had something to do with that. You're responsible. But God exalted him to the king of all kings, to that position. So this is not just someone who died on a cross, but this is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he says, when the people heard this message, their hearts were pierced. And they said to Peter and his fellow apostles, our brothers, what do we do? And here's the answer. And I love the... Um, the voice translation here, it says, reconsider your lives, change your direction, participate in the ceremonial washing of baptism in the name of Jesus, God's anointed, the liberating king, 
There's the message that we want to deliver. That there's a king. He died for you so that you could be liberated. You could be set free from all the brokenness, from all the cycles that have been going on for generations in your family. He says, there's a king that can liberate you. You just got to reconsider your lives, whether you'll surrender to him. You just got to let him clean you up in the waters of baptism and wash your sins away. And then he says this, then your sins will be forgiven and the gift of the Holy Spirit will be yours. God will be back with you. You were separated, but now he's going to live in you. For the promise of the Spirit is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. Even those considered outsiders and outcasts, the Lord our God invites everyone to come to him. He invites everyone. Are you inviting everyone? Is your purpose clear? Are your priorities clear? Or are they muddy? Lastly, you have to ask yourself, is my ministry culture excellent? And again, it'll never be excellent until the people in that ministry decide to live excellent lives. Now, what do I mean by excellent? What does Corey mean by excellent? I think Corey might mean a few slightly different things than what I might think about, okay? But I don't totally disagree with him. I remember a preacher one time, he was talking about excellence from the pulpit, like excellence in preaching. And he said, if you preach a boring sermon, you are sinning. (laughs) I'll never forget that. I'm not sure he's correct, okay? But I like kind of what he says there. But the idea is he's appealing, he's saying, man, when, if you're going to do it, do a good job. And hold people's attention. Do the best that you can. Look at what Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10 says. It says, whatever the activity in which you engage, do it with all your ability. Actually, I'm sorry. There we go. Whatever the activity in which you engage, do it with all your ability. Whatever it is. I don't care if you're making a Pop-Tart. Make that Pop-Tart the best Pop-Tart that it could be. You know, get the extra icing. Put it down. If someone says, hey, man, will you make me a Pop-Tart? Don't just throw a Pop-Tart on a plate. Man, bring them a Pop-Tart, you know, like give some presentation to it. I know that's silly, but I'm, I'm serious, man. If someone asks you to do something at work, do you just do the minimum? Or do you do it in a way where they're going to, at the end of it, when they see it done, they're going to go, Man, you didn't have to go to all that effort. No, 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 no. I'm a child of the king, man. This is how I roll. I roll with excellence. Right? Man, if someone asks you to do something, man, go all the way. Show out at work. Be the employee that someone takes notice of. Not because you did the bare minimum, but, but be the one that gets promoted without even having to ask for promotion. They just, they can't deny that you're too much of an asset, so they promote you. Be this person that whatever you put your hands to, you do it with all your ability. Look at what Jesus, uh, what is said of Jesus in Mark chapter 7, verse 37. Here we go. Amazed beyond measure, the people kept on saying, Jesus does everything well. Everything well. If we're going to be his disciples, we've got to start trying to do things well. When you're given a paper to do in class, 
Procrastination. And listen, I'm speaking from experience, but procrastination will not help you do something better. You cannot do things well unprepared. And so I, I really believe that what God wants from us is not just when we show up to our ministry gathering to suddenly let's get all the lights out, let's get all the right music, let's do all these things, the fun games, and let's just go all out. Listen, I'm telling you, if it's not your regular practice in things like writing papers or popping Pop-Tarts in the toaster or whatever it is, if you're not pursuing excellence in, in every aspect of your life, I'm telling you, something's going to be lacking when you get to that ministry context. We have to be a people that do everything well like our Master Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says this, Put your heart and soul into every activity you do as though you are doing it for the Lord himself and not merely for others. Why do you do the extra mile at your work? Why do you go the extra mile and write a great paper? It's not for the teacher. It's not to get a grade. It's not to get a promotion. You're doing it because you're working for him. You carry his name everywhere you go. If someone knows that you're a Christian, they... They're going to make a judgment about Jesus based on your life. This is why Paul says, man, he says, the Gentiles are blaspheming you because of me, or because of you, he says. Not, not himself, but he says, because of some of you and the way you're living, you're causing people to blaspheme the name of God. Don't drag Jesus' name through the mud of your mediocrity. Be excellent in everything you do. Exercise all the gifts in the world and do all the things that we've talked about, but if our ministries don't have a culture of love, we've failed. Paul would make this argument at the end of chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians and leading into chapter 13, the chapter of love. He would say, man, you could do all the things we've talked about tonight, but if you're missing love... All you're doing is checking things off a list and you don't have love. You're just like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's all for nothing. Guys, I want us to revisit this. The six things that you got to be if you want your ministry culture to be healthy. But I want you to ask yourself this Are you authentic? Are you gracious? Are you community minded? Are you Bible-centered? Are you clear about when people see you? Is it clear what your priorities are? And are those priorities the same as Jesus? And number six, do you operate in excellence or do you operate in mediocrity? And then finally, write these questions down. They're going to look similar to the first three that you wrote down before, but they're slightly different. The first one is, not do I contribute. That was the first, the first set of questions. It says, do I contribute to the health? This is a little different. I want you to be more specific and ask yourself, how do I contribute to the health of my ministry's culture? I want you to think about the things that you bring to the table that are good, that contribute to the health. Secondly, how do I bring disease to the health of my ministry's culture? 
The more honest you can be about these things, and the more you can talk about these in your group, the better off we're going to be. We're actually going to do something with the lesson tonight instead of just let it go in one ear and out the other. We're going to hear God's word, and we're going to go put it into practice. And then the third question. This time there is a number three, okay? What will I commit to? What am I willing to commit to based on the things that I've heard God say tonight? Guys, I love you. Thank you for your attention. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message. Thank you for your word. I pray that I haven't gotten in its way too bad. I pray, God, that people will um, take the things that are said into their minds, that it'll penetrate their hearts, it'll provoke them to action. I pray they have great discussions tonight. I pray that people can identify the areas. Maybe, maybe they're guilty in all six areas. Maybe they're guilty in three of them. Maybe they're, they're doing well in some, but not in others. But I just pray that all of that can kind of come to bear in the discussion groups and that we can start being accountable to each other about these things because, God, we don't want to stand in your way. We don't want to contribute to the disease being added into our ministries. We want to contribute to the health. So, God, just reveal those things. Help us to work through those things. Give us conviction about those things. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.